This is the Hidden Wire podcast, episode 718, my interview with Steve Glaverski. Enjoy. Welcome back, guys, to another interview on the Hidden Wire podcast. I hope you're very well today. Guys, I'm bringing you an interview with Steve Glaverski. He is the author of a book called Employee to Entrepreneur. It's a book about his journey into becoming an entrepreneur, and I think it's a great interview. We really share the insights and highlights of the entrepreneurial life. Not for everyone, don't be mistaken, it is not for everyone. However, we share his journey of getting into it and some of the key lessons. So if it's something that you're looking to do, if you're looking to escape the the corporate world or the job that you're currently in and really looking to pursue your own thing, set up your own business, then you can learn a lot from Steve. He's, He's done successfully well in his business. Now, he set up one originally, but it wasn't aligned with his values and what he really Uh, what really gave him meaning and it actually failed after a couple of years. So he shares that in here as well as the success he's having in his new business. We go back and forward in this interview because it's actually him interviewing me and I'm also interviewing him. So uh, I think we figure it out in the end, Uh, but there's a lot of value guys in this interview. I hope you like it. Make sure you check it out at thehiddenwide.com, episode 718. You can leave your comments there. You can also interact with me on Facebook is probably the best um, platform to do that. So just the hidden why at Facebook uh, and reach out to Steve as well. Support both of us guys by subscribing to the uh, podcast, making sure you're leaving us an I, uh, iTunes review as well and uh, reach out to Steve. His details are in the show notes as well. So episode 718, my interview with Steve Glaveski. Enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy this interview. Cheers. Steve Glaveski, welcome to the Hidden Wire podcast. I'm also featuring on your podcast with this interview, which is called the Future Squared. Is that correct? That is the Future Squared podcast, correct? The Future Squared uh, podcast. Lee Martinuzzi, it's also a pleasure to have you on my show. This is um new territory for me, doing a double interview that we'll publish on both our respective podcasts including not only Future Squared, but also the Hidden Why podcast, which I understand is over 700 episodes in. Mate, before we even geek out on employee to entrepreneur, I I just need to know, and I think our audience wants to know, where do you derive that persistence from to publish so many episodes after so many years? Yeah, yeah, good question. We were speaking about that uh, a little bit um, in the pre-intro. But look, I suppose you've got passion for what you do. You sort of do it, don't you? And I think that's um, that's a good thing to find. I... uh, you know, I love interviewing people. I love learning, and and that's really what keeps me going. And you know, the numbers aren't massive. I'm not um, the biggest podcast in the world, but it's nice to look at some of the numbers and say, look, at least I'm having a positive impact out there. And I do get feedback from from some listeners as well, enjoying the interviews, enjoying my solo rants, enjoying my book reviews, and that's always refreshing to see that. And I suppose both of those things keep me going. Um, you know, it's what I love. It's what I love to do. Um, it's my my hobby as well. So, um, you know, you stick your time into it. Um, like yourself, I mean, you've done, what, 300 episodes now. I don't know how long you've actually mm. been recording, but um, what, what keeps you going? Uh, I think with many people going into podcasting, they might think that, oh, it's a great way to to make money. I can monetize it based on the listens. But unless you're really in the upper echelons of maybe the top 1% to, to 3% of podcasts in the world, you're going to struggle to really make a living doing that. So in my case, I've had to reframe it and look at all of the other benefits that come with podcasting. Um, I mean, just connecting with amazing thought leaders in their fields, whether it's Adam Grant, whether it was Kevin Kelly, whether it's Robin Green, Robert Green, rather, developing relationships with people like that, learning a hell of a lot from them. So asking them questions that not only benefit my audience, but also somewhat self-serving. Hmm, yeah, it's a bit But um, then by virtue of that, uh, it creates new, new opportunities. 
Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. And um, it creates new opportunities and uh, no direct uh, financial or monetary opportunities, but we've had a lot of people listen to Future Squared who've gone on to become big clients um, of Collective Campus, which is the company I run. So there is that indirect financial benefit as well that comes with it. So I think all, all of those things combined definitely uh, help to, to just keep me going with it. Yeah, that's cool, man. Look, we've got a double interview today and hopefully the um, connectivity is not going to affect the audio quality, but guys, welcome again and um, I hope you enjoy our conversation. Steve, I want to sort of go back to, you know, why you got started in in podcasting and and certainly for myself, I mean, a big part of it was, you know, that monetary look. I wanted to, because, you know, I listened to a lot of other podcasts and heard the figures that they were doing, the numbers that they were getting and I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. But I also had this urge in me to just get out there and share some of my thoughts and, and ideas. And I suppose both of those things got me started. Mm-hmm. But once I did get that momentum, I, um, you know, it is hard work. It is hard work to produce this much content. And certainly, like you said, you have to be in the top, you know, 3% or whatever to make a living out of podcasting. And you start to realize that as you go. But I stopped even thinking about the, the monetizing of my podcast and really started to just enjoy the process of, like you said, interviewing people. I love being able to, to reach out to, to some guests that you wouldn't otherwise speak to. Um, also, mm-hmm. reading reading great books. You know, I reach out to, to publishers and get books all the time, and I think that's just another fringe benefit as well. So what got you started in the, in the podcasting world? Yeah, and uh, you know, like yourself, I'm a bit of an autodidact. I love to learn. Um, love to learn from lots of different people across disparate fields, whether it's neuroscience, technology, entrepreneurship, um, philosophy, psychology, you name it. We've had guests from across all of those domains on the show, and I absolutely love that. Um, but initially, it was really about um, working in the space that we work in, which is uh, innovation and entrepreneurship. There's a lot of noise in the space. There's a lot of charlatans, and one way we were able to differentiate ourselves as a company is through content, um, which puts our best foot forward. Um, and it's a vehicle for us to put ourselves forward as thought leaders. Um, so whether that, which then turns into a podcast, um, these are all vehicles for us to, um, carve a niche out in the market and differentiate ourselves from a lot of competitors who just aren't creating content of the same caliber or anywhere near as much of it. Um, so that's initially what got me into it. Mm. So it was purely, commercial interest to start with, but it has gone on to become so much more than that. Like I said, relationship development, learning a hell of a lot, creating new opportunities through those relationships, um, and ultimately developing conversational skills, becoming a better listener. All those things uh, for me have been absolutely profound. And one of my big goals this year, if you will, is to just foster even more human connection. Because I think in today's always connected world, it's easy to just get busy being busy and stay behind your computer and your smartphone all the time um, and connect with people, say, on social networks at the detriment of those real human connections where you're having a conversation with Mm. someone and you know these days we very rarely have say one hour conversations with people and ask them questions that go beyond the surface level of the weather and and the most recent uh sporting results yeah steve we're cutting in and out here man i've got um some terrible connectivity okay i don't know if you're you're hearing me Uh, you're you're hearing me yeah, I'm hearing you reasonably well on this end, but if you're not hearing me, then that probably, I mean, I'll, I'll be able to hear myself on this side, obviously. I think what's going to happen, because you're recording on that side with your mic, I'm recording on this side, so if worse comes to worse, we can just combine the two files and I can get my sound guy to do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Let's keep going. 
Yeah, let's keep going. So, um, but before you were a podcaster, Lee, I mean, your backstory is somewhat striking because it's similar to mine. I mean, you were a corporate executive uh, for many, many years. You held senior executive positions for a number of companies. Um, I'd love to get, get to know you a little bit better and understand that backstory a little more. Which companies did you work for? What sort of capacities did you work in? And for how long were you in that world? This is a, um, it's an interesting conversation, isn't it? Because I've got so many questions just off what you said that I want to ask you. So I'm <laughs> going to write those down and uh, give you a little bit of a, a glimpse into to my backstory, I suppose. Look, it's nothing spectacular, to be honest. Sometimes it, it, it seems a bit more than it is. And I just want to be very clear that um, I am no guru or anything special. Um, I looked at... Um, you know, what advice you'd give your 20 year old self. And I don't know about yourself there, Steve, but if I look back at my, mm-hmm. my 20s, I was very driven by career, success, money, sex, rock and roll, partying, all that sort of stuff, you know. And I'm not a sex guru. Yep. I, I don't have all the money in the world. I've had ups and downs um, with flow of money, with career success. And to be honest, I still don't know if I've got it all figured out what my future entirely holds for me. Um, but what I do know is that I am a little bit wiser. I'm a little bit wiser to what's important in my life these days. And I think that might come with like experience and age. And for me, you know, I've, I've done a bit of a backflip. I, I started to realize that um, what I was chasing after wasn't making any sense. I didn't know why I was doing what I was doing. And I suppose that's where I've become a little bit mm. more clear in my life is figuring out or getting a little bit more clarity around what's important to me and why I do what I do. And I think that comes, you know, backed by purpose, having purpose in everything you do. And um, certainly, you know, several years ago, most of what I did didn't have purpose. I just did it like on autopilot. And I think that's where the disconnection comes. You start really disconnecting from who you are, what drives you, what you're passionate about. Um, And really, I started to connect with that through personal development. Yes, there was some changes in my life. I actually... Um, left a, a big company um, that is no longer, and I went into real estate. And through that transition, um, you know, there was a lot of uncertainty. And I found personal development really allowed me to just navigate myself through that transition a little bit uh, more gracefully. Mm. Um, but in the same time, that that the whole personal development sort of journey opened up cracks in who I thought I was and, and what I was telling myself and what I was chasing. And it really helped me connect with my why, what was really important to me. And that's where the, the podcast started to form as well as as my writing and my blog. Um, so that's, that's my backstory. Um, I wanted to get out there. I thought it was all about freedom at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought I, I just really wanted to create more freedom. I wanted to be able to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. And then I started to realize the the underlying motivation to everything that I was doing or attempting to do was happiness. And um, I've actually just Mm. been writing a book that I'm working on. You've got a book out as well, but my book is titled The Ultimate Life Map. Um, It's a bit of an introspective journey as to the principles I've used to guide my life to more purpose and more passion and to hopefully live within the moments, whether there's suffering or pain or pleasure, um, with a sense of greater joy. Um, so that's where I'm now and um, still still on that journey. So, yeah, that's a little bit of my backstory. Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, we're all on that journey and none of us ever truly arrive. I think the moment one considers himself an expert in anything, he stops learning. And uh, I think that's a very dangerous place to be. And I always try to subscribe to the Socratic way of thinking, which is the more I know, the more I know nothing. And I think that is a reflection of someone's wisdom. Uh, because when you're 15, you think you know everything, but you've experienced very little and it's funny that uh, paradoxically, when you're, say, 35 or 45, then you second-guess yourself a hell of a lot more than 
that 15 year old, even though you've had say two or three times more time and experiences on this earth. Um, but something Ooh. you said there really resonated uh, with me, which was the whole autopilot thing where oftentimes and, and more often than not rather, people are driven by uh, say a quest for social status, money, self-importance, ego, all of these external factors. Um, and ultimately that becomes sort of our false purpose, if you will, hmm. rather than trying to identify what is that true purpose? What is, as you put it, that hidden wire that underpins what will really get us out of bed each day with a spring in our step. We end up subscribing to society's convention, conventions of success. We end up in jobs that we don't necessarily like. In fact, sometimes we hate them, um, but they pay us. So we wind up living for the weekend and for our, say, 20 days leave a year. But most of the time we're quote unquote comfortably miserable. Um, and that that's something that a lot of people never really break out of. And they just accept the fact or the so-called fact that work is just something you don't enjoy and you just have to grin and bear it. Uh, I mean, in your case, what did it take for you to, uh, quote unquote, wake up um, and break out out of that, that fall? purpose. I like that idea of waking up and um, certainly that's what it feels like, uh, felt like back then. I, um, I don't know, I think there was, a, there was a couple of moments that sort of brought me some more clarity around what I was doing with my life and, and one I remember I was on a scooter and I was delivering some flyers in real estate and I, mm-hmm. I just had this moment of going, what is this all for, you know, what does it all mean? And I suppose asking some of those bigger questions and I couldn't connect the dots going, how in 60 years' time will I look back on this and go, that was you know having a positive impact uh, in my life and in the lives of others? Um, so that was one moment that I sort of said, you know, perhaps I need to rethink um, you know, what I'm doing and really start to focus on not only career-wise what I was doing, but just everything that I was doing and you know what, what is the purpose of it. Um, so I think that really helps. So once you start getting that focus about what's important to you, really connecting with what your values are, um, delving within, understanding who you are and what drives you, and then using those things to guide you through some areas of your life uh, with greater purpose, you'd really start to discard or, or dispose of all the things that are unnecessary or not bringing value to your own life, but also the lives of others as well. Um, so I think that's that's perhaps a turning point for me um, in my mm-hmm. life was was that moment. There was another moment where I was fired from a, a job and I, you know, I, I went on a bit of a transition mm-hmm. then as well and started to realize that you know, what, what sort of security does this give me? Um, so I think there's a couple of moments in my life that certainly has, has turned me around. But, you know, when I look at, you know, the bigger picture now, I have to really connect back with, with myself and, and going within internally and not using those external or extrinsic uh, motivators to drive me forward. And that's a really hard thing. Um, just going back to your point yeah, before, I think there's... Um, you know, I think I'm still fairly driven by selfish pursuits, and I think we all are, and I think we'd be lying if, if we weren't. You know, there is a mm-hmm. high level of what I do is is purely based on a need to satisfy my own needs and desires, um, and that is, you know, to, to make some money. I still value money, and I still like the, the things that money can bring. Um, you know, career, mm-hmm. I'm still driven there. Um, there's many things that I do out of um, sort of a selfish intent, but I think majority of what I do now is more driven out of the idea to have a positive impact in the, the lives of others, my immediate family, um, but also others that listen to my podcast, etc., like that. Um, so I think there, there becomes a little bit of a transition as to why you do what you do. It's not all about you know the ego or creating that status, but also about having a big impact in the world. And that you know it doesn't have to be 
um, Elon Musk or Richard Branson or, or any of these bigger names, um, Lady Teresa, anything like that, you can have an impact in your own personal life, you know, within your family, within the people that you have in your, your community. Um, and I think that's really what becomes the driving force behind what you do. And it's selfish in intent because when you start doing that, when you start seeing a positive impact in the lives of others, in your community, in your family, um, in the bigger world, it actually satisfies you. It actually creates a greater sense of happiness because you then feel like you're contributing. You have a greater sense of significance in, in what you're doing, your work. Um, and those things really add to your happiness as well. Yeah. And I think that last point, I just wanted to, uh, double click on that because ultimately for many people who are engaged, say in the corporate world, they may be, uh, be, they, they may keep themselves busy, but for months on end, uh, they may struggle to see the direct result of their work. Uh, they may end up sitting in a lot of meetings and ultimately come the year's end, they look back on what they actually achieved. In, in many cases, it's like, well, I was busy all year, but what have I got to show for it? So I think what you said there around, you can actually see the results of the work you're doing, whether it's people listening to your podcast, reading your blog, and perhaps receiving some some of those unsolicited emails from people who basically say something like, wow, I've been reading your blog for X amount of months and it's really changed my life. That sort of stuff, that, that short feedback loop, it, it underpins motivation. So if I can see the direct benefit of the work that I'm doing, the hours in, then that's going to motivate me to keep going. But if I don't even have that, then my motivation suffers and the only thing keeping me going is really the paycheck. And definitely agree there that, you know, we shouldn't say that, no, it's about just being driven purely by transcendental purposes because ultimately human beings, 95% of our decisions are emotionally driven. You know, we may... We have evolved in, in many respects, but we're still very much, you know, neuroscientifically grounded in that uh, our predispositions from the days we were running around the African savannah and it was all fight or flight and it was tribal. And if you weren't um, perceived to be a certain way, you would be outcast from the tribe. So that's mm. still hardwired in us. And mm. that's why we are still looking to satisfy a lot of our self-interest. But if we can do that um, by way of actually doing work that's important to us, work that aligns with our strengths, that aligns with some greater purpose, then it becomes much easier to get out of bed every day and apply ourselves and work. Our life becomes a lot more enjoyable too. Because, you know, I spent 10 years in the corporate world doing all sorts of work and I was well paid and uh, all that sort of stuff. But was I fulfilled? Did I feel like I was learning something important? Did I feel like I was making a difference in the world? No. So I was purely looking forward to that monthly paycheck rather than really deriving a sense of uh, motivation from, from anywhere else. Um, so on, on your transition though, Lee, from big corporate to doing your own thing. Now, a lot of people may struggle with that because they potentially were on a, a, a very comfortable six-figure salary. Then they jump out and potentially they're pay, paying themselves maybe one-fifth of what they previously had, at least for the first six months to two years before they start to make a little bit more money. Um, I mean, what did that transition look like for you? And was it difficult to resist the, the lure of, of the corporate world and the, and the comfortable uh, financial conditions it brings? No, I still, I still look at that and, and see that as an opportunity that I might get back into one day as well, to be honest. Um, and mm -hmm. I, just, I just wanted... Um, I just had a question about what you were speaking about then um, in regards to connecting sort of our selfish desires or pursuits with that um, hedonistic or um, altruistic sort of um, pursuit as well. I sort of feel, mm -hmm. and I just want to get your take on this, that, you know, we can get started by these selfish pursuits. Like we need, we want to make some money because we want to buy a nice house or a car or go on a holiday or something like that. 
some of these things are really good motivators to get us started. But I sort of feel that if you use that as a motivator to get started, that's fine. But if what you're starting is not aligned with something that you're passionate about, something that's actually going to have an impact in the lives of others, etc., it's not going to be sustainable. Would you agree? Yeah. Yeah, so what happens, I find, with uh, whether it's, say, a new house or a nice car, things like that provide a, a fleeting feeling of happiness. You work really hard, you obtain them, and then within two weeks, a couple of months, whatever the case is, that feeling's gone. And then you start seeking that next shiny object. Hmm. Um, so it's a good way to get started, but it doesn't provide that sustainable contentment hmm. um, that you would derive from doing work that's actually important that's making some kind of measurable difference in the world that you care about. Um, so I think that, yeah, I, I agree with you on that. And I think there's a lot of um, research out there on the topic and uh, the, the cognitive bias is, is referred to as the arrival fallacy, where we work really hard to get something because we think once I am X, then I'll be happy. You get there and you're not. Um, and, and so you see a lot of athletes, um, musicians, uh, C-suiters and so on who climb the ranks, get to that point where they thought that once they get there, they'd be happy, but they ultimately wind up being, um, more miserable than what they were previously because they worked so hard their whole lives to get there. They get there. And then it's like, well, well, if I'm not happy now, what do I do? Mm. But the, the whole, the idea behind having a goal to go after, and let's just say it's, it's a car. And mm. I totally understand. I think, you know, the, the idea of getting a, a new car, I think the, the new car smell will last longer than the happiness that you receive from buying that new car. Um, but the whole goal yeah. to so, get you there mm-hmm. is, is the pursuit. Now, if you can enjoy that pursuit of getting you there, I don't feel that we should miss out on some of these luxuries that might give us desires, uh, give us, you know, some, some fleeting sense of pleasure. Um, but as long as that journey there is something that we're going to enjoy, because at the end of the day, we, we all have goals. You know, you've just written a book yourself. You're on a publishing tour right now or book tour right now, and mm-hmm. that's achieving a goal. Now that for you will bring you a, a sense of joy and, and probably fleeting happiness as well, I assume. But the journey to get there is what you're going to reflect back on and really go, geez, that was just a marvelous experience. Um, yeah, it was a lot of work. It was a lot of, um, times where I just felt really down or whatever, but you're probably going to reflect back and go, that was just an amazing part of the journey. And I'm glad to um, mm. be here where I am. But then you're going to be going, well, what's next? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think if you compare your wants with your needs, um, I think James Clear talks about this in his book, Atomic Habits. That can go a really long way. So what you're talking about there, Lee, which is pairing your wants, which is uh, potentially buying a car with your needs, which is uh, making money, uh, developing skills in a certain area, which is going to allow you to make that money and ultimately going on that journey. Uh, It's good to have that goal, but by virtue of achieving that goal, you've developed this whole other aspect of yourself, which can serve you in other aspects of life. Um, But even on that, uh, I think it's um, Jordan Peterson uh, who says that if you live with meaning at the center of your life, then it becomes much easier to ride the highs and the lows Mm. because you've got a, if you've got a, let's say very extrinsic goal, like a a nice new car or whatever it is. Um, but the journey there is fraught with difficulty and setbacks and and peril. You may find yourself in a position where it's much easier to quit because you're like, Oh, well I'm only driven by this object of desire rather than some, 
uh, objective meaning mm-hmm. um, or some greater purpose. Mm. Um, and I found that with my first um, foray into entrepreneurship, which was uh, a platform called Hotdesk, uh, essentially an Airbnb for office space. And you know, after two years of really grinding on that, I, I found that I didn't really have any desire to be what I what I called a glorified real estate agent. Um, I didn't really believe in what the platform was about. Um, so it hmm. became much easier to quit. Whereas whereas now the work I'm doing, which is about unlocking people's potential to to create impact impact in the world and to lead more fulfilling work lives, having been a frustrated uh, executive myself for almost a decade, uh, that's something that really resonates with me. And when I see the value that's being created, it's much easier to keep going. Even when the business is going through troughs, it's much easier to keep going than it would be if I did something that I didn't believe in. Yeah, right. So, so if you've got that, you've got that meaning, you've got that sense of belief in what you're doing. And whilst it still might be driven by you know, some sort of selfish desires or pursuits, um, with the meaning, it sort of makes it more sustainable and, and achievable. Exactly, exactly. So, um, Lee, you've mentioned that you are releasing a new book um, in the near future called The Ultimate Life Map, but you've also worked on a couple of other books which are available over on Amazon. Um, And one of those books is The Four Pillars of Success, uh, which I found quite striking because it does align with something that I've got in my new book, Employee to Entrepreneur, which I call the five Fs, which is freedom, fulfillment, family and friendship, finances and fitness. But I'd love for you to to talk us through – some of those pillars. So you've got things here like emotional health and relationships, uh, the pillar of fulfillment and achievement, the pillar of belonging and giving back, and the pillar of freedom and finances. Um, not necessarily talking us through those four pillars, but why is it important to have all four pillars rather than just emotional health and relationships or rather than just the pillar of achievement? Yeah, geez, that's going uh, back to, to one of the books I probably only wrote um, four years ago. It's, a, it's sort of a short version ebook which you can download from my website for free anyway. Um, which I, I don't know if I recommend it to be honest, because um, <laughs> it was a bit rough in, in its in its. I love workings. the humility. Yeah, it is. It's um it's one of my earlier bits of works, and and I've probably changed a lot of my ideas then, um, and my writing technique as well. Um, but look, I suppose all the pillars they all intertwine, and and I look at the the ultimate life map, which I've just recent recently written, and the. The, some of the principles in there are very similar to that and they focus on these areas of our lives that I think if we can find some good active healthy behaviors within each of these areas um, that they're going to hold um, the the roof on top they're going to hold our our feeling of happiness um, more st- with more stability I suppose if that makes sense um, if without one of the pillars mm. you know crumbles or, or isn't there then it's going to be a little bit lopsided or something's not going to be quite right. So I think it's important um, to get the foundations right, to understand what it is that you're all about, what it is you value, build the pillars around that, and that's through healthy habits and behaviors. And then from in in each of those areas, and then from that, um, you will have a a stable foundation um, that will be sustainable, that will be give you a greater sense of joy and and last the years as well so i guess that's the reason why i think all four pillars are relevant and certainly if you do get a copy of my book the ultimate life map when it does come out um you'll see how the the four pillars actually connects with my work here as well yeah and i absolutely love love that and i think there's a lot of alignment between that and what uh stephen covey put forward in the seven habits of highly effective people, which is you need to live uh, a principle-centered life. Uh, you invest in family, friendships, health, finances, business, personal development, leadership, uh, community groups, 
philanthropic groups, like having that balance. Otherwise, you end up incongruent and you end up potentially over-investing in, say, one area. And then that one area could be taken away from you. So, for example, it could be your business and you invest 90% of your time into your business. You derive all of your identity from your association with that business and then it's taken away from you. It has a bad year. You go bank. Whatever the case is, and you have absolutely nothing else uh, to derive that sense of identity from, and that can be a very dangerous, uh, depressive spiral that that people find themselves in when they have overinvested in one thing that's taken away from them. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And you look at that, you know, people that have you know chased after success in their careers and you know things that they love perhaps as well, uh, but they neglect their health, for example, or they neglect their relationships, and you can you can see the suffering that it brings uh, into people's lives um, when they don't have that balance. Mm, definitely, definitely. And um, just to expand on the employee to entrepreneur um, topic, having come out of the world where you've got people around you, you've got processes, policies, procedures, values, systems, and so on, how do you go about managing your, your time now, given that you don't have uh, a team around you as such um, and you need to be a lot more deliberate about how you spend your time because I know in the corporate world it was very easy some days if I didn't feel like working to attend a bunch of meetings and that would be that um, whereas <laughs> you haven't got that liberty when you're a self-made person I'll, I'll answer this question then I want to throw it back to you as well because you're <laughs> you know you're now an entrepreneur and you've certainly experienced that that um, that that change for me I've always been you know, highly organized, I suppose I um, can really quite easily, um, I feel, um, stay focused on, on what I want to achieve. Um, but in saying that, there's there's probably a lot of distruth to that as well, where I, you know, I do get distracted by things and sometimes my focus isn't quite there, especially when I'm not clear about the direction I'm going in. Um, and that just, that, that happens, you know, throughout life, I think you, you sort of lose focus and, um, and you, you start to go you know, go through the days and the weeks and the months and the years and go, geez, what have I really achieved? And and last year actually felt a little bit like that for me, I'll be honest, because I came back to Australia uh, with my family from Japan. We lived there for a couple of years and I was having that transition of, of reestablishing myself here in a community, putting my kids through education and finding out, you know, what I was actually going to focus on while I was here. And geez, it was a turbulent year. And I look back at it and go, geez, what did I really achieve? Um, so, you know, that's going to happen throughout life. Mm. To stay to stay organised, I think really having some clear set goals around what you want to achieve, and I think really connecting with these on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis um, is important. And then you know really removing or minimising your life so that you can focus on what is really important. And I think that comes back to you know connecting with your why, connecting with what's important to you, your values. And then looking around everything that you do with a greater sense of purpose. And if you can't see what you do as having a purpose to the goal, to your values, then why are you doing it? You know, why are you spending time there? Now, yeah. I, want, I don't want to yeah. be mistaken and think that, you know, it's, it's okay to have downtime. It's okay to watch your favorite show on Netflix. I don't care what you do. Um, I think the, the worst use of time is when that you're not aware of how you're using it and why that matters. Um, so if you can safely say, look, I'm going to spend an hour in front of Netflix and watch a TV show because I actually really enjoy this this process of, of vegging out or whatever it might be, then at least you're aware. And even if it doesn't have a real purpose towards some of your goals or your values, that's okay because you know and you're aware. But it's when you are not aware, 
like um, several years ago, man, I used to turn on the TV in the morning and watch in Australia. We have that show Sunrise. I'm sure you're familiar with it, Steve. Um, that yeah. used to be on in my living room yep. just religiously. I used to turn it on as I was waking up. I didn't watch it. It was just on in the background, and it was just a, a bunch of rubbish, to be honest. Junk, yeah. Um, and then at night, you know, it's come home from work, crack a couple of beers, turn on the TV, and that's the nightly routine. We'd eat dinner and watch TV, and it's just, man, what a wasted pursuit. Um, so when you start really connecting with your values and start really, you know, disciplining yourself around those, it's easy to find those those behaviours and then form habits as well that have more purpose. And I think that's when you really minimalise um, not only the, the possessions and things in your life, but also the things that you do in your life to allow you to focus on really what's important. And that's when you become more productive with your time. Yeah, I think that deliberate use of time piece is absolutely massive because not only um, does it extend to you know leisure time, whether it's watching Netflix or cracking open a beer, um, but even how you approach your day. Uh, it was Peter Drucker who said that nothing's worse than the wrong things done right. And it's so easy today for people to get um, to preoccupy themselves with what's easiest because human beings have a, a bias to do what's easy. To, to follow the path of least resistance. So rather than say write a 1500 word blog post on a on an important topic that all my readers are asking for, um, I'm going to spend the first two hours of my day maybe responding to emails and and posting stuff on LinkedIn and and, and stuff like that, which is really easy and it does give me that dopamine hit yeah. that's associated with accomplishment. But at the end of the day, have I moved the needle forward on my business on my content? No. And uh, that that shows up both in the entrepreneurial domain and in the in the corporate domain where you have a lot of meetings and things to that mm. effect, uh, where people are in this state of hyper responsiveness and always just responding to other people's demands on their time, whether it's emails, whether it's taps on the shoulders, rather than just being deliberate about, hey, I've got these two to three hours in the morning where I am my most focused and I'm going to focus on the most difficult thing uh, first thing in the morning and get that done because whatever happens after that, I know I've been uh, – I've been focused, I've been deliberate, and I've won the day, regardless of how the afternoon goes, as long as you get that most difficult thing done. But you're absolutely it's, it's right. It's a really so good easy point. Just, and there's, there's yeah. a couple of good books there. And one that I first read was um, Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. And um, and the other one was the mm-hmm. one you mentioned before by Stephen Covey, which is Seven Habits of Highly uh, Effective People. Um, two great books. I mean, anyone out there listening that really wants to you know, become more effective, those are a couple of great books um, that you can certainly tap into. But yeah, focusing on that, that really difficult task, the one that you, you're probably most you know uh, uh, reluctant to jump into, um, perhaps because of the time and energy or, or the, the fear of what might result out of doing that, that's the best one to tap into because uh, especially straight away at the mm. start of the day because that's when you, you're at your best. Um, and once you get that big task out of the way, everything else becomes easier. And certainly that's something that, um, you know, seven years ago, I used to jump up, do the emails, do all those simple tasks first because I was just ticking the list, you know, felt like I was getting a lot done. Then I'd still get to the end of the day and I go, I just didn't do anything that was focused on what's really important to me. Yeah. And just on, on that, to expand on that, I know you've got a book uh, called another self-published book called Delegate to Freedom, um, which is all about uh, outsourcing and using virtual assistants. Now, obviously, the, the use of uh, VAs and things to that effect can help us to essentially be more deliberate about our time, spend less time on those little non-consequential things, those little admin things, and focus on things that are aligned with our strengths and our natural inclinations mm. and those big-ticket items that are really going to help us move the needle forward. Yeah, absolutely. Look, it's um, I know you're a fan of um, using virtual assistants as well, uh, by the sounds of it. So, tell us a little bit about yep. um, 
what you do to become, and you just mentioned a couple of things there, but what else do you do to um, really stay focused on what you need to do? I mean, as an entrepreneur, there's so many things you need to do because usually it's not just um, one function that you're focusing on. You have to sort of take care of everything, the entire business. So how do you yeah, remain focused and disciplined to, to getting those things achieved that are important for the business and yourself? Yeah, so um, I've actually come up with a framework for this, which was um, featured in a Harvard Business Review article I wrote called uh, The Case for the Six-Hour Workday. And the little framework is called Peacoats. So just picture the, the winter jacket, Peacoats. Yep. And the P essentially stands for prioritize. So obviously you want to follow the universal law of nature, which is the, the Pareto principle, the 80-20. Focus on the 20% of tasks that are going to give you 80% of the value, whether that's um, – product features, whether that's sales strategies, whether that's marketing strategies, whether that that's just reflecting on how you spend your time. So always start with prioritization. Then you want to cut anything that's just not adding value. So by reflecting, like you said, whether it's on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis on how you're spending your time, both at an individual level and both at a company level, how is the company spending its time? Where is it spending its money? And cutting the stuff that's just not creating value or creating very little value. Mm. Um, then you want to look at automating all those autom- uh, rudimentary process-oriented tasks, anything that can be turned into a step-by-step procedure, either it can be automated, and if it can't be automated, you want to outsource it to a virtual assistant. And then the last two uh, letters in, in P-Codes was T for test. Uh, it's easy for an entrepreneur to waste their time either in paralysis analysis or in over-investing in the wrong thing, but by constantly uh, testing, by defining first what your metrics of success are and then checking in on those when you've either launched a new feature or when you've thought about launching a new feature, just run a small test, see if it performs, if it doesn't. If it does, keep investing. If it doesn't, pull back and change direction. Mm. And then lucky last was really S for start your engines, which was all about what are the things you can do to optimize your performance in the day? Because a lot of entrepreneurs, particularly solopreneurs, and I'm not a solopreneur uh, nowadays, but a lot of solopreneurs will work 12-hour days and then they'll uh, complain that they haven't got time for anything else. They haven't got time for family, um, and they haven't got time to to say exercise or take care of themselves. But by actually investing some time in exercise, in eating well, in getting sleep, you'll perform at a much higher level during the day, and you'll find that you can get a lot more done in less time, and then free yourself up to spend time with with family and friends. And I think uh, you don't know how um, poorly. Uh, tuned you are when you're poorly tuned. So if you, you don't exercise, if you get four hours <laughs> sleep point. a night, if, yep. you know, you get used to it and you just think that's your b- benchmark. But once you actually are that person, you realize just how flat you were and how uh, how poor your performance was. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, do feeling? any of those things yeah, resonate yeah. with... Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, which of those things resonate with the way you approach your work, Lee? Yeah, look, I love, I love the formula and I think it's always good to have a formula. Um, I've got one which is... Um, Sort of similar, I guess. It's fast track to effectiveness, which is in the book, The Ultimate Life Map. Um, but without going into that, I mean, there's a couple of things there that I just wanted to touch on. And, and one is that I love is that the whole idea about testing, um, experimenting with things, you know, what, what works for you and what doesn't work. And that's in your personal, your, your business life, whatever it might be. Um, and I'm constantly changing things up, you know, based on my goals, based on where I'm putting myself and where I want my energy and focus and attention to be. And I think, you know, without experimentation, without giving things a go, 
um, you just won't know what's really going to maximize your performance over the long run and what's going to maximize your effectiveness over the long run. So I think uh, that's a really good uh, point. And I think, you know, listening to people like yourself, the books out there that you can read, and just taking a few of those things on board and saying, okay, I'll give that a go. You know, I'll start my morning off with a bit of exercise and see how that goes. Um, and then once you find that powerful energy that works for you, um, you'll stick with it. And along the way, you might change it up again. You might add a couple of more things and you might get rid of something. But mm-hmm. it's always about constantly experimenting, testing, and then, again, cutting the things that perhaps are no longer necessary for you and where you are right now. And your priorities are going to change, obviously, as we move. Nothing is permanent. So um, I think it's always good to, to revisit some formula like that, Peacoats, um, regularly, you know, at, at a monthly basis or a quarterly basis to really reassess what you're doing and go, okay, well, is that actually any any use to me anymore? Is that necessary? Do I need to be doing it? Could I outsource it or could I just cut it entirely? Um, and that's one activity that I suggest a lot of people take is to really sit down and say, okay, where am I at with my life? Look at the things that are in your life, your possessions. Um, look at the task lists, the things that you do each day and really even spend a week you know, just journaling. Okay, this is what I've done every day. These are the few things in my life that I notice. And then at the end of that, just do an assessment and say, okay, out of all my possessions, do these things have a place in my life to where I'm Mm. going next, you know? And I think it really comes down to minimalism. I know that's a big trend out there at the moment, but minimalism is amazing because if you haven't used that item in the last three months, is it really there? Now, I've been a bit ruthless in the last year and I've gotten rid of some things <laughs> that perhaps I shouldn't have. And I actually just recently go, uh, right now, it's going, oh, geez, maybe I shouldn't have deleted that whole file. Um, but I did, you know, and I, because I didn't use it for a long period of time. So I think that's the, the culling process is getting rid of the shit in your life that really isn't purposeful to, to where you want to go. Um, and that also comes down to those things you do. I remember when I was in real estate a few years back, man, I just had this big list of things that I did every day. And I actually used the Pareto principle, eighty twenty rule to really assess, well, hang on, a lot of this stuff um, isn't really giving me the, the majority of my results. It's taking up a lot of my time. And then mm-hmm. when I started to go, what is its purpose? I started to realize that it maybe had a purpose, but it wasn't that important. So I, I gave it to my virtual assistant or entirely just got rid of it because it just wasn't doing anything. So I think doing that sort of process, even annually, is going to benefit um, everyone. Yeah, couldn't agree more. And it's funny, if you actually look at uh, the Pareto principle and break it down even further, um, rather than just 80-20, it also suggests that uh, 64% of the value value comes from just 4% of the tasks. Um, same goes for revenue. Uh, if you've got 20 clients, chances are there's one client that's willing to spend you know, exponentially greater amount than everyone else. Um, and it's a matter of finding what's that package uh, that you can sell that one client who's just going to overinvest in you because right. you'd rather have one big client um, and a few smaller ones rather than 20 small clients because you, you need to serve them all equally. It, the actual cost um, and the benefit of all, all of those clients, the margins are much smaller. But you have one huge client um, that you just need to manage, say, that one relationship and maybe two or three others. It puts you in a position of freedom, particularly um, when you're a solopreneur. You, you can only manage so many relationships. Wow. And I suppose, you know, from managing that one one relationship so thoroughly, who's actually, you know, bringing a lot of your business in, through that relationship that you're building with that client, you're going to get a lot more stronger referrals. I don't know if that's what you experience in your business model, but it sort of makes sense. 
Yeah, no, no, definitely. I mean, just as you asked that, reflecting on some of my bigger clients, uh, there's been external referrals, but also because we work with large organizations, those uh, clients also refer us internally to other business units. Um, and, and so it just becomes this sort of uh, snowballing effect, essentially, when you do overinvest in that one client. At the same time, mm. you take any concept to the extreme and it become detrimental because it can become detrimental because then you have, say, one client that you've overinvested in uh, and potentially, hey, what happens if that client tomorrow, for whatever reason, goes out of business? Then you're left holding uh, hot potato, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, with any any concept, you don't want to take it to extreme. I mean, nutrition's good for you, sleep's good for you, but if you sleep for 16 hours a day, perhaps perhaps not so much. Yeah, that's cool. Cool, mate. What um, you've you've published your book, Employee to Entrepreneur, and you're actually over in America at the moment doing a bit of a book tour. Um, so I'm assuming that's a that's a bit of a ball and a mm-hmm. bit of a process in itself. Um, so congratulations yeah. to that. But just with the yeah, um, th- sorry, you go. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, uh, with the book, Employee to Entrepreneur. What are the what is you know the three key takeouts you want people to walk away from from reading this book? Um, sure. So the first takeout, because it is targeting corporate executives who are potentially thinking about making that transition, one of the takeouts is really around determining whether it's really for them and whether they're doing it for the right reasons. Um, because it's easy to get enamored by the bright lights of entrepreneurship, by movies like The Social Network and by reading TechCrunch and Mashable and think, oh, wow, I should become an entrepreneur. I'll have my freedom. I'll create a business. I'll make lots of money. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's you know, the reality is far from that. Uh, 96% of startups fail. Um, and if you're going to quit a 40-hour-a-week job where you get paid 80K to work uh, 80 hours a week to get paid 40K, well, are you prepared to do that for the first year or two of your business? Because it's going to be tough, tough going. And unless you're doing it for the right reasons, unless you're driven by some uh, greater purpose, you probably will quit before you get to that point where you are. Uh, you do build a sustainable business. So it really uh, provides a bit of a, a roadmap to help executives reflect on why they're looking at making that decision, yeah. uh, to reflect on alternatives they can pursue, um, cool. and, and mm-hmm. then make that decision with full consciousness around, around why they're doing it. Um, the second thing would be just around helping them avoid paralysis analysis and jumping to conclusions, which are two of the biggest pitfalls that I see corporate executives uh, uh, turn entrepreneur make. Uh, yeah. One would be spending 50k on an app, not telling anyone about it, keeping it in stealth mode, releasing it with some huge marketing campaign, expecting that the world's just going to throw flowers at them, but then it's just crickets and it goes nowhere. The flip side of that is paralysis analysis, and they spend all their time researching and looking at Gartner reports and Forrester research reports, but not doing anything and just getting busy being busy, like I said earlier, but not moving the needle forward. And and the last thing... Just uh, just on that, sorry, I'll just interrupt before we go to the last one. Um, It's really an interesting point. Go for it. And I just want to get your takes on, on... how we find the balance between taking action and just going out there and really testing things um, in face of perfection. Because there's a lot of people out there that will, you know, over-research things. They want to get it perfect before they start. And rather than just starting, and I'm totally the opposite, I'll just put out stuff. And, you know, like that first book you mentioned before, um, I just put that out. Mm. I wrote it quickly and put it out there pretty quickly. Um, and perhaps it's not the best thing to do because it is a representation of my credibility and, and who I am. Um, but, you know, I, I just think by doing that sort of stuff, you get that momentum going, whereas, you know, sometimes perfection is, is a killer of actually having anything happen at all. Um, where do you find that balance and, and yeah, what's your experience? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and I, I agree on going on that journey will help you 
uh, determine what the answers are. I like to say go on the journey and the path presents itself. So you won't be able to figure out what to do just by sitting at home researching and reading um, Ibis World reports and things of that effect. Um, what I would say is if you are a perfectionist and you are taking a new product to market, realize that the first people that use your product are going to be early adopters. And the reason they're going to use your product is because it does create some form of value in their lives. It does solve some kind of a problem in their lives. Um, now, as long as it does that, it doesn't need to be quote unquote perfect. It doesn't need to have all the bells and whistles. It just needs to do that one thing for them. Mm. You're going to have potentially um, late adopters or your early majority. And there's a book on this called Crossing the Chasm by Jeffrey Moore, which talks about uh, the waves of people that get onto a new product. Um, they're the ones that are going to want all the bells and whistles, your later adopters, but your early adopters, they just need something simple and basic. So focus on solving that problem for them rather than getting it perfect. Um, in the Perfection comes later. Once you've actually got a problem you're solving, you've started to make money, you can then start to invest in making your product better, adding bells and whistles, adding features and things to that effect. Um, yeah. But what really helps people with that is by defining uh, their key assumptions that underpin, say, their business model, like who are my customers, what's my revenue model, what problem am I solving, and then finding a ch cheap, quick, effective way to test that and then determine where we are in terms of those metrics. So if I was expecting, say, five out of 100 people who saw my ad uh, to click on it and instead I'm getting 0 0.5 people out of 100 clicking on it, well, then something's wrong with my with my ad, with my uh, proposed solution, and I need to start tweaking. But you've already got some learnings there, and it probably costs you $20 in ad spend. Um, by having data, by making data informed decisions, you're far more likely to strike a good balance between planning and action. But ultimately, like like Michael Dell uh, of Dell Computer said, ideas are a commodity, execution of them is not. Um, you can come up with the best idea in the world, but chances are it's still going to fall flat unless you execute in a way where you're open to tweaking it and changing it, you know, count the day even um, during the early stages of your of your business to get it to a point where it does actually resonate with the market. So, yeah, I, I'm always um, partial to execution any day of the week. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, yeah, just thought I'd jump in there. What's the, the third key takeout you were going to jump in there before I interrupted? Uh, so the third key takeout was just around persistence. Um, and to quote uh, Calvin Coolidge, former U.S. president on this, you know, he said that the world is full of uh, educated people, talented people, geniuses, many of whom amounted to nothing. Um, nothing in this world will take the place of persistence. And I think that's so, so true of entrepreneurship. Uh, you could have a great idea. You could be intellectually gifted, academically gifted. You could have a great team, but there are so many variables that are conspiring to work against you. And unless you have a healthy relationship with adversity and you can push past all the inevitable mm. setbacks, all the inevitable rejections, then you're not going to play the game long enough to, to win. Um, so I, I really think that is the number one uh, factor that underpins uh, whether or not someone will be successful or not in this space. And it really ties into a lot of what we've been talking about yeah. today, Lee, which is um, focusing on your strengths, um, focusing on something where you really believe in the purpose, and then uh, outsourcing and automating so that you are just doing the work that actually creates value and the work that you enjoy. Because when those things come together, you end up doing things for a much longer period of time. Whereas if I was working on the stuff that I didn't enjoy, the stuff that didn't create value, and I didn't really believe in what the business was doing – then I'm much less likely to persist. Yeah, and you sort of just answered the question I was going to ask. And, and you know, 
for entrepreneurs in, in particular, um, you have that idea, you start executing, taking action. And, you know, I did this with a, a business, a virtual assistant business, where I decided that, you know, it's not where my focus needed to lie. And I, I stopped mm-hmm. doing it. But how do you, and you did that yourself, you said, with a, a earlier business, Hotspace. Um, was it Hotspace? Yeah. Yeah, hot desk. Hot desk. Close enough. Um, it's funny that because uh, one of the organizations I've just been with um, has hot desks in their office. But um, yeah, it's, how, do you, how do you decide you know, when persistence is no longer required because it's just not the thing to pursue? And I think you touch on that by you know, knowing what you're doing and, and having a belief in what you're doing um, to push you through those levels of adversities. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs out there that I'm sure get started on something. They give it a crack for a good couple of years, a few years, five years, whatever it might be. But they get to a point going, it's just not working out for me. It's just not the right thing. And I get that, you know, you can take courage and you can find some motivation and you can really persist through through that. But if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Where do you cut your losses? Mm. Where do you cut your losses? It's a good point. Uh, it's a good question, rather. I think if you've defined the metrics that you uh, evaluate to measure success and you can see that those metrics are moving in the right direction or they're tracking an upwards trajectory. Um, that's one thing. And then you also want to look at those values that you've defined, um, mm-hmm. which goes back to something we are talking about earlier. Like what do you actually value and does your business align with that or is there incongruency? So for example, do I value freedom, time with family and friends? Do I value my fitness? Uh, do I value uh, giving back to the community? Does my business help me do all of that? Or is there a misalignment there? If so, if I'm spending very little time with family, if I'm unhealthy, if my business doesn't really uh, give back to the community or it doesn't do work that I truly believe in, I think those two things uh, go a long way. So, and uh, who was Steve Jobs said something similar where he said, that if I wake up too many days in a row, look in the mirror and tell yeah. myself that I don't really want to do what I'm going to do today, then that's a, a red flag and, and, and really should trigger you to start reflecting and potentially look at alternatives because that incongruency piece shows up not only in business, but also it could be in relationships where if you haven't got that values alignment with your partner, then mm. inevitably you're going to feel unhappy. Yeah. They're going to be unhappy. You may have, you know, wandering legs and, 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 and do all sorts of stuff you probably shouldn't do. But when you do have that alignment, it's much easier to, to play the long game, even with um, a life partner. Yeah. I love that uh, speech by Steve Jobs. I think it was a, uh... A um, what do you call it? That speech at the university that they do. Stanford, yeah, the Stanford commencement, commencement address. I think yeah, it was. that's right. No, Stanford yep. was it? Yeah, um, man, you've been busting out quotes left, right, and center all, all all this interview, so it's great. Um, but yeah, it's a really good point, <laughs> and I think I think sometimes we we need to really wake up to that and, and ask ourselves, does it align? And again, it comes back to the entire conversation and where we started the conversation with is really connecting with yep. your why, what's purposeful, what's your values, what do you believe in. And making sure that everything you do is aligning with that and has purpose towards that. And I think that's really what's going to give you that persistence as well. But, uh, mate, congratulations. More, mate. Congratulations on the book, um, Employee to Entrepreneur. I hope it um, goes well for you and brings you the success. I'm sure you're enjoying the tour over there. Is that right? Yeah, I'm enjoying the tour. You know, I've been, uh, it's day five of the tour now. I did Melbourne, Brisbane, and Sydney last week. Uh, did an event at PayPal Campus in Silicon Valley last night um, over at the Book Passage in San Francisco tonight and then a couple dates in Los Angeles uh, Wednesday and Friday of this week and then I'll be heading back home to Melbourne to get back to actual work but um, it's been really good to just come out and, and 
just connect face to face with a lot of people, a lot of readers, people that listen to my podcast. Um, it really comes back to what we were discussing at the start of the show, which is that motivation. And, and when you can see that you're making a difference, that people are deriving value from all the content that you spend so much time creating, it's much easier to just double down on that and keep going. Mm. Any, any highlights of your tour so far? Uh, highlights of my tour so far. I mean, I, I think just getting out to PayPal campus last night. So I was interviewed by, it was basically a fireside chat with Melissa Schilling, who she's a professor at NYU and she wrote the book Quirky, which is all about um, what attributes do successful entrepreneurs share. So it was cool to get interview, interviewed by her in front of a, a classroom of PayPal employees and um, MBA candidates from a uh, New York University. So yeah. that was a real kick. And I hadn't been to Silicon Valley before. So it was just not only did I go to Silicon Valley, but I was in there, you know, more or less uh, um, an orator in front of a room full of locals and NYU students, which was which was a bit of a bit of fun. Um, That's but crazy. yeah, yeah, it's I think ultimately the book tour in terms of selling books probably doesn't serve that much purpose because I can get onto podcasts like yours, Lee, and countless others that I've been on and get in front of way more people. But sometimes it's just nice to take that time out. And I think, you know, if you want to play the long game with anything, you've got to be nice to yourself as well. Take a week out, go exploring, meet people face to face. Um, it will give you a massive hit of energy um, to keep you going because there's, yeah. there's no energy derived from just sitting behind a, a desktop all day. Now, and you touched on that, that earlier on in the conversation too and, and you know, sort of realigning yourself this year going forward to, to make more, um, you know, real connections uh, with people. And it's funny yeah. you said that because I'm, I've been thinking the same thing. I've been sitting behind my computer doing a podcast for three years and a bunch of episodes, but I really want to get out there and, yeah, you may not touch as many people, but just have – you know, a bit of community focus where I get people to come together and, and maybe share some of my own thoughts or even get some people to come in and, and do some some live interviews in, in front of an audience. I think yep. um, not only would it change it up and make that human connection um, greater, but also it'll develop your skills, you know, it'll, it'll help develop your skills in a, in a different scenario because you develop so many skills behind the microphone, but um, in, a, in front of a live audience, you, you develop other skills as well. So yeah, I really like that, and I think yep. it's a really good point. Mate, how can people best uh, reach out to you? Yeah, people can reach out at steveglaveski.com. Uh, at that website, they'll also find links to my book, Employee to Entrepreneur. Um, they'll find links to my podcast, Future Squared, and as and on top of that, they'll also find links to all of my social media uh, profiles and handles. How about yourself, Lee? Where can my audience find you? Yeah, cool, mate. Uh, TheHiddenWire.com, so just go there and check it out. Uh, all the links and connections and all that bits and pieces are, are there. I'm not really too active on, on social media. Um, so if you do want to connect with me, Facebook would be the place to, to go where I hang out the most. Uh, but other than that, yeah, just go to the website and have a look. Perfect. Well, uh, I think we'll, with that, we'll wrap this one up. It's been a pleasure to um, geek out with you, a, a fellow employee turned entrepreneur. And um I hope our audience got a, our respective audiences got a lot of value out of that one. Yeah, I'm sure they would have. I, I certainly did. And uh, let's connect when you're back in Australia at some stage, eh? Sounds like a plan. Cheers, Lee. In the purpose. Thanks, mate. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels using the icons on the platform that you're listening to The Hidden Why podcast. 
Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwide.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well. You can stay up to date with all that I'm releasing here, guys. I do a solo show every Monday, a three-minute thought every Thursday. I do two interviews a week on a Wednesday and a Saturday, and a book review every Friday. You can stay up to date with all that by subscribing to my newsletter at thehiddenwire.com. Just enter your email address there, and also subscribing to the podcast on the platform that you choose to listen to your podcasts. You can also support the show, guys, by using the Amazon links at thehiddenwire.com. So if you like books, you can get all the books that I review there um, and anything else, really, that you like to purchase through Amazon. So use that link. It helps support the show. And we've also got a deal with Audible, guys. Audible is a fantastic way to listen to all your favorite books. We've got a deal with them so you can get two free books when you subscribe or, yeah, subscribe to a 30-day free trial. So check that out, again, at thehiddenwire.com. Guys, that's it from me. You know what to do. Go out there. Breathe more passion into every single moment. Do everything with greater purpose and in doing so you will discover your hidden why this is the hidden why my name is Lee Manutzi until next time peace passion and purpose see you soon